Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our scripture today comes from the book of 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1, beginning with verse 16. Peter writes, We didn't repeat crafty myths when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Quite the contrary, we witnessed his majesty with our own eyes. We received honor and glory from God the Father when a voice came to him from the magnificent glory saying, This is my dearly loved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. In addition, we have a most reliable prophetic word, and you would do well to pay attention to it, just as you would to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Most important, you must know that no prophecy of Scripture represents the prophet's own understanding of things, because no prophecy ever came by human will. Instead, men and women led by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This is the Word of God for the people of God. So now, Lord, would you speak to us divine words? Would you reveal to us hidden truths? Would you teach us something new about Jesus and about following Jesus today that we might do it more faithfully? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you've already heard, Wednesday, February 22nd, is Ash Wednesday. It begins the 40-day season of Lent where we travel with Jesus, we experience with Jesus his road to the cross, which led to his uh, sacrificial death, his his, uh, sacrifice for all of us. Now, of course, we know that that the 40-day season of Lent ends with Easter when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, But before, on this side of the 40 days of Lent, We have what we call Transfiguration Sunday. And many churches that observe Lent, the Sunday before Easter as reserved as Transfiguration Sunday. It's a story that appears in three of the Gospels when Jesus goes up on the mountain with three of his disciples and unexpectedly he's transformed into a pure blinding light. His his divine nature is revealed. It says in Luke 9, this is Luke's version of the event, uh, 28 through 29, about eight days after Jesus said these things, we're going to come back to that phrase, Jesus said these things, he took Peter, John, and James and went up on a mountain to pray. And then this, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes flashed white like lightning. So like I said, this appears at the front of Lent. We know Easter is coming, uh, that on that day, Jesus would emerge from the dark tomb like an emerging, dawning light on a new day, literally. 
Um, and then on Transfiguration Sunday, he shines like a light. In a sense, Transfiguration Sunday is sort of a preview of what's to come. It's a, it's a glimpse of what will be. Both of them serve for us as this joyful, triumphant, victorious, kind of light-filled bookend to what is otherwise a fairly somber season of Lent. So the story goes like this. Jesus goes up on the mountain. Peter, James, and John are with him, just the four of them. And all of a sudden, he is transformed into light. But it doesn't stop there. While Jesus is transformed into light, two characters from the Old Testament appear, Moses and Elijah. Now, about 1,200 years before the transfiguration, Moses was the one who led the Israelites out of, out of slavery in Egypt. He led them for 40 years out in the wilderness, wandering until they got to the promised land. But he didn't enter the promised land with them. And the legend about Moses was that he never died. That, that the reward for his faithfulness was that God took him into heaven. There is not a scripture that says that. That was kind of a, a legend about him. The other thing about Moses was, remember, he went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. So the law is always associated with Moses. Moses is the lawgiver. So that's one. The other was Elijah. Elijah was a prophet, not just a prophet, considered to be the greatest of the prophets. He was the sort of the model prophet. He lived, his ministry was about 850 years before the transfiguration. But similar to Moses, he never died. Remember the story you learned about Elijah, how he, he, uh, a fiery chariot from heaven came and picked him up and took him to heaven. So here we have Moses and Elijah never died, but lived earthly ministries hundreds and hundreds and millennia for Moses before, standing there talking to Jesus. Pretty significant. Not just that these two folks from the Old Testament are there, but what they represent. Moses represents law. Elijah represents prophet. This is the whole of the Old Testament. This is all that has gone before Jesus. And do you remember when Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, don't even begin to think that I've come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. So that's what's happening in the story is here Jesus doing a new thing stands firmly with the law and the prophets of old. So you think, well, this is pretty good. Jesus is shining like a light. We have Moses and Elijah. Things are going pretty well. And then there's more. This cloud descends from heaven, and a voice from the cloud says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This is quite an experience, isn't it? Jesus looks different than they've ever seen him before. Moses and Elijah appear. Now God is speaking, and Peter will tell us later he heard it. They heard the voice of God. Now, I did a lot of research yesterday looking at different images of the transfiguration. Lots of them, frankly, look a little cartoonish. So I want you just for a moment to just try to, in your own way, imagine going up on a mountaintop with Jesus. Whatever image you have of Jesus, just imagine there being on top of the mountain with Jesus in human form. Now, that alone would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? To just kind of have a little time with Jesus up on the mountain. But then imagine human flesh like yours and mine beginning to glow, clothes beginning to glow. Imagine heroes of old appearing. Imagine hearing them talk about Jesus' ministry. Imagine the cloud. 
You ever been in a thick fog? Right? Imagine that thick cloud coming and then hearing the voice of God, whatever that might sound like to you. It sounds like James Earl Jones to me. Imagine the voice of God saying, this is my son. This is my son who I love. Listen to him. What do you think your reaction would have been if you had been there? If you watched all this happening, what do you think your response would have been? And how might, if you were going to knew in kind of your relationship with Jesus and just been following him for a short time like Peter had, how might that have changed your understanding of who Jesus is? And how would you share this with others? Imagine just being one of the three. When you got down off the mountain, what would you say? How would you tell people what you had experienced? In today's reading that I shared before the message, we heard from 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter is attributed to Peter, right? An eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. An eyewitness, one of only three of the transfiguration. And what he's doing here in the book of 2 Peter is he's drawing on that firsthand eyewitness experience as, as his credibility. He's saying, you can trust what I say about the resurrected and the returning Christ because I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. Here, just part of it again. We didn't repeat crafty myths when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Quite the contrary, we witnessed his majesty with our own eyes. He received honor and glory from God the Father when a voice came to him from the magnificent glory saying, this is my dearly loved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. That's the CEB version, which is what we usually use, but I like the message version in this. It says, we weren't just wishing on a star when we laid the facts out before you regarding the powerful return of our master, Jesus Christ. We were there for the preview. We saw it with our own eyes. Jesus resplendent with light from God the Father. To hear the confidence We saw it with our own eyes. In other words, you can trust us. You can believe this. We watched it. Do you hear that phrase? We didn't repeat crafty myths. We weren't just wishing on a star, right? This is something we we have evidence because we were there. We know this happened. You can trust us. Peter then goes on to say that the transfigured Jesus is like a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Or the message version. It's the one light you have in a dark time as you wait for a daybreak and the rising of the morning star in your hearts. In other words, Peter is drawing on this story of the transfiguration saying, when times get hard, when it seems like everything is dark and that happens a lot, right? Look to Jesus. Let Jesus be the light that leads you out of the darkness. Believe in the light of Christ. And as I read this, like, I want you to imagine for a moment, he's not just speaking hypothetically. He's not just speaking, you know, some kind of theoretical. He's, he's speaking pastorally. He's saying to you, I don't know what darkness you're going through, but whatever personal darkness you have in your life right now, there is a light that is greater than your darkness, right? You can trust the light. He saw the light. You can believe in the light. 
Now, most of us, this side of heaven, aren't going to see Jesus in the flesh face to face, much less transfigured. That, that, that we get in glory and in, the, in heaven. But the truth is, there's evidence of the light of Christ. There's evidence of transfiguration. There's evidence of divinity all around us, all the time, if we're open to seeing it. I like to quote Elizabeth Barrett Browning's poem where she says, Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. She's drawing on that story, the burning bush and the exodus, right? Uh, the Celtic Christians seem to have a unique understanding of the proximity of God. That God isn't often some faraway heaven. That God is all around us. That all around us are signs of God's presence. John Philip Newell, a Celtic author, says, in every place is the immediacy of heaven. Did you get that? In every place is the immediacy of heaven. In every moment we can glimpse the light that was in the beginning and from which all things have come. Another Celtic author, Julian Stan, says, God is all around if only we recognize his presence. Isn't that the goal of spirituality, right? To have eyes to see spiritual truth, ears to hear spiritual truth, to have a greater awareness that God isn't far away, that God is available, that God is involved, that God is present. Now, like I said, I doubt any of us are ever going this side of heaven, see Jesus face to face or the transfiguration. But I would argue transfiguration is happening all the time, all around us. God is in the daily transfiguration business, transforming what we think is earthly into something beautiful and heavenly. That all around us, God is revealing divinity in countless ways. We don't have to go up on a mountain to find God, though that's not a bad place to experience God. God is equally available to us in quiet devotional moments on our couch. where We just sit with our Bible and our journal, maybe. God is available here in worship. Jesus said, wherever two of you more are gathered in my name, I'm with you. God is with us. God reveals God's self when we have conversations with close spiritual friends, sometimes in the workplace, sometimes in hospital rooms and doctor's offices, sometimes in the loving embrace of another. God is with us. Divinity is with us. The transformed light that Jesus exhibited at his transfiguration is with us, all around us, all the time, if we're paying attention. Are we paying attention? Are we living life with a sense of expectation that God could show up any moment? Now, I've not yet mentioned Peter's reaction to the transfiguration. We, we read his reflection many years later, but in the midst of it, what did Peter do? Now, you know Peter kind of has a, a reputation for acting and speaking a little impulsively. And so in the midst of all this, right, he's seeing Jesus transformed and all of that. He blurts out, Luke 9, 33, Master, it's good that we're here. We should construct three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But then the commentary adds, but he didn't know what he was saying. That's an important phrase. He didn't know what he was saying. 
there's nothing inherently wrong with what he wants to do. He's excited, right? He's seen something pretty incredible he wasn't expecting. He's like, this is great. Let's, let's memorialize it. Let's, let's build monuments so that we'll never forget what happened here. Now, I don't know what kind of monuments Peter planned to build. I don't know what building materials he had on top of the mountain. I don't know what his building skills might be. I mean, he was a fisherman after all. I don't know. But you get the sentiment, right? You get the heart of it. He wants to do something special. But there's that line, right? He didn't know what he was saying. Apparently, he didn't realize that Jesus' point of being transfigured wasn't so that somebody would build a monument. Scripture's trying to make it clear that even as sincere as Peter was being, that he was a little off base. He didn't know what he was saying. You see, Jesus has never been in the monument building business, has he? That's not what he's about. Jesus' purpose, his purpose during his earthly life and ministry and his resurrected life and ministry, has always been single-minded. It's about advancing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven and inviting people like you and I to be part of it. Peter was turned on by the glory. He was excited about what was happening. And maybe even his suggestion, let's build some monuments, was an opportunity to just hang out up on the mountain. Let's, let's stretch. Let's elongate this experience as long as we have. Let the other disciples handle the stuff off the mountain. Let's just hang out here and bask in the glory of Jesus. So follow this. Jesus is transfigured into light. A voice comes from heaven. Moses, uh, uh, Peter speaks up, you know, let's build a monument. But then things shift. Moses and Elijah disappear. Jesus' appearance returns to normal. And that's kind of it. And Jesus leads them off the mountain. He never even really responds to Peter's suggestion. They just leave the mountain. Now, there's no doubt this was a special moment. Had to have been special for Jesus. Clearly, it was special for Peter, James, and John. Some would argue that that the transfiguration of Jesus revealed his true divine nature, and I think that's true. John 1.19, talking about Jesus' birth, says, the true light that shines on all people was coming into the world. Jesus revealed that light in his transfiguration. But I'd like to add a different take on this. I'd like to add that maybe Jesus's divine nature wasn't only revealed when he shined like light, but maybe also in the verses, the stories that immediately precede the story and the ones that are after it. You see, what we do sometimes is we take the story out of the scripture and we read it in isolation as that's the whole deal, forgetting that there were things leading up to the moment and things following that maybe could be illuminating. So follow me here for just a minute. In the Gospel of Luke, the the transfiguration story happens in Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. In the verses that came right before it, Jesus says to his disciples, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will save them. 
What advantage do people have if they gain the whole world for themselves, yet perish or lose their lives? I don't know if you remember, when earlier on when I was reading about the transfiguration, it said, eight days after he said these things. That's how Luke sets the story of the transfiguration by reminding us what he just said. What did he just say? If you want to follow me, get a cross. Not one you put around your neck, not one you tattoo on your arm, a big wooden one, like the one that they're going to nail me to. Take up your cross and follow me. For what does it profit a person to gain the whole world but lose their soul? There's some connection between these two stories. Let me ask you, when was the last time you really reflected on Jesus saying, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross every day? When's the last time you really thought about what that requires of us, what Jesus expects of us? Following Jesus isn't a pleasure cruise. It's not a joy ride. It's not a Sunday afternoon stroll. It's not a walk down easy street. Taking up your cross is a willful choice and decision to submission, to live sacrificially, to lay down our lives if we're called to. Notice, Jesus never said, if anyone wants to follow me, they must head up a mountain and build a monument. Never said that, did he? To be his follower, we must take up our cross and follow. Discipleship has always been and is only about cross-carrying, living sacrificially. So that's the story immediately before the transfiguration. Immediately following the transfiguration, they come down off the mountain, they reunite with the other disciples who didn't get to go up and see it, and they discover that the other disciples have been struggling with a young boy who's possessed with a demon and his father who's brought him to them to, to, to be, for him to be delivered of the demon, and they've been unsuccessful. They've been trying without Jesus to drive out the demon, and they're not able to do it. No wonder Peter wanted to stay up on the mountain, huh? I mean, if the alternatives are taking up a cross and self-denial or coming down the mountain and dealing with demon possessions, let's stay on the mountain, right? I mean, that, you can understand the appeal. Yes, Jesus went up on the mountain to be transfigured. There's no doubt. But let's be clear. He only did it once. He only took three witnesses. This wasn't a circus act. Jesus didn't just say, hey, I got a good crowd. Let me show you what I can do. Bing, I'm light. You know, he didn't do that. That wasn't his mode of operation. The vast majority of Jesus's life and ministry were off the mountain. He didn't hang out every day with Moses and Elijah. Who did he hang out with every day? The poor, the broken, the sick, the demon-possessed. Jesus embraced sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. He faced daily opposition. Daily, he endured the slowness of his disciples, like Peter, who didn't seem to get it until the end. Every day, he lived his life with his eyes focused on the cross. In other words, moments of transfigured glory are exceptionally rare. But daily, Jesus revealed his nature 
in the mess, in the flesh and blood messiness of this world, of life. Today's story is a story about transfiguration, but I would argue that the transfiguration isn't just limited to when Jesus was turned into life, that in a sense, all three of these stories reveal something to us of his true nature. You must take up your cross and follow me. He's revealed as light, and then he drives out this demon out of this boy, giving him new life. Amy Jill Levine writes, how do we explain a revelation? How do we express the inexpressible? How does the experience of the holy change our actions, our life? To proclaim the gospel requires words, but words without action are not signs of the Spirit. They're just wind. No doubt. Jesus' transfiguration is a revelation. But so were his daily encounters off of the mountain. Jesus was revealed then in common everyday deeds, and he's revealed today in the same way, in and through us. Every time we love, every time we forgive, every time we're generous, every time we extend grace, every time we serve, every time we worship, Jesus is revealed to the world every time we deny ourselves and carry our crosses. Every time we clothe the naked, every time we feed the hungry, every time the sick are healed, every time we comfort the grieving, every time through our action, our words, our priorities, our life, our participation in the kingdom, that the world becomes a more just and fair place. Jesus is revealed. Fulton Sheen once said, divinity is always where one least expects to find it. Divinity is always where one least expects to find it. Sometimes it does happen on mountaintops. Sometimes. Sometimes it does happen with glorious light. Sometimes. Often. Usually. Always. It happens in places we least expect it. Among those, Jesus calls the least of these. Latin American theologian Gustavo Gutierrez writes, if we are to find God acting in history, we must have an attitude of faith that is open to novelty and mystery. The Lord cannot be manipulated, nor can we invent a God who will meet our expectations. This last line, on the contrary, we must agree to be constantly challenged by God. We must agree to be constantly challenged by God. Do you agree to be constantly challenged by God? And let me ask you, what's more challenging? To be invited up to the mountain to see a spectacle, a show? Or to take up your cross? And follow Jesus down into the valleys, down into the humanity. Jesus said, anyone who wants to follow me must take up your cross. Deny yourself. For what does it gain us to inherit the whole world but lose our souls? Good question to be asked as we begin the 40-day season of Lent. Let us pray. 
Lord, words like uh, self-denial and confession and repentance and submission, those are hard words, Lord. We'd rather just bask in your glory. But you call us to be cross-carriers. You call us to be people who believe in the light that shines in the darkness and to bear that light into the darkness, to carry it there. Lord, we live in a world full of needs that break your heart. May they break ours also. May we look for you not just in moments of glory, but in moments where we reach out in love and grace and obedience to you. Lord, use this season to teach us how to truly follow you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.